Am I on? Okay, here we go. Uh, hi, I'm Mark Nicholson, and um, man, it's a lot easier to talk about heavy things like grief recovery on a pretty day, so I'm grateful for that, because yesterday was was kind of a downer, wasn't it? Um, so, um, so this is the uh, uh, breakout on grief recovery, just uh, myths and realities, and so if you're not in the right place, I'm going to pray, and you can sneak out, and there's a sign out there that'll tell you where you can, uh, uh, where you want to go, but uh, let's pray and just... Uh, give this time to God. Father, thanks for these friends. Thank you for um, just their willingness to, to, to come and, and uh, learn uh, from you. God, I'm completely humbled because uh, it, I know in myself, uh, I, I don't have anything to offer God. I, I really don't. Uh, Father, any number of people could, could be up here in my spot. So, um, Father, just uh, help me to be faithful with this time. God, I pray that uh, whatever time I've spent preparing, God, you would uh, just uh, uh, enrich that, Father, that anything that comes out of my mouth that's not uh, of you, that's not true. Uh, Father, just pray that that would uh, uh, just go away, Father, and that anything that is uh, from your word that is what you want to communicate to these uh, sweet friends here tonight, uh, today, God, uh, it would just uh, grow deep roots and uh, produce fruit for your kingdom, God. Thank you for this time. We give it to you. Help us to be an encouragement to each other. In Jesus' this name. Amen. Okay, so I want to start with a question for you guys. Um, anybody got any pet peeves? Uh, I'm not talking about like, like, like stuff that like anger that would land you in regen kind of stuff, but just something that just kind of annoys you. Uh, I do have a reason for asking, but uh, anybody want to go? It's something that just kind of gets under your skin a little bit. Bad drivers. That's, that's a huge one. Yes. Bad drivers. Anybody? Cat can't be the only one. The word pet peeve. See, I've already violated them. Sorry. So the, the, the word in French is bête noire. So you want me to use that? I'll, 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 I'll speak French for a while. Anybody? So, cats. Okay. Now we're getting personal. Yes, ma'am. Crinkling plastic in the middle of a concert, a classical music concert especially. Yeah, good. I know we're not tapped out. Yes, ma'am. Oh, I thought I saw you. Were you waving at me? <laughs> hey, how are you? One more. Come on. Come on. Really? Y'all going to leave me hanging like this? Okay, Lauren. I, bail me out. All the lights on. Because we live in a country with unlimited resources. This is the United States of America. Fill up the landfills. You know, just dig new ones, right? So, okay, here's mine. Oh, wait, went past it. Boom. Anybody? Come on. See, because those end up doing that. And that is not a racing stripe. That is uh, the result of uh, being in a parking lot with someone who didn't put their card away. And I'm thinking, you've been in the store, you've probably done like half a mile walking around the store, just 10 more feet and you can get it in the cart return. So anyway, um, that was really just kind of my lead into talking about something that for me uh, has become a little bit of a grief recovery pet peeve. And that is the uh, expression, the phases of grief or the stages of grief. Does that resonate with anybody? Has anybody heard that, those four words put together? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let me back up and just, yeah, okay, great. A um, little bit about me. So uh, I'm here because... Uh, about 13 years ago, almost to the day, uh, my wife and I were expecting triplets. 
not because we'd gone through in vitro, but we had been through a long season of infertility and miscarriage. And um, at about five, a little past five months, she went into preterm labor and we delivered all three of our, our babies uh, over the next couple of days. And uh, it, was, it was rough, yeah, I won't lie. Uh, it's been a long time and we'll talk about the effect of time on grief. Uh, there's been a lot of healing that's gone on by God's grace, uh, but that is why uh, I'm here today to just help talk about what really is uh, important to know, uh, some of the things that can really derail us in our journey through grief. So I'd just like a show of hands. I don't want to put anybody on the spot, but we'd just love to know who of you are here because you're dealing with your own personal story of, of, of loss and you're here to hopefully be encouraged. Okay. Yeah. Thanks, y'all. Um, so I would think I think the rest of you then might be I'm here because I know someone that I want to support and want to love well, or uh, who um, you know just uh, I want to be equipped for that time when I know somebody who is dealing with grief. So whoever you are, wherever you're here, um, grateful. Uh, so we're going to cover six of them. Uh, there are many, but um, first of all is the one that you hear very often that the stages of grief mean that we can infer from that that there is a logical, discernible progression through grief. And I think most of us who've walked that journey would tell you that it's not, that is not the case. Uh, a few years ago, well, it's actually about 20 years ago now, if I think about it. So um, the, the bombing in Oklahoma, uh, in Oklahoma City happened in 1995. And a couple of summers after that, I was up there visiting a friend. And we had a little time on our hands and decided, hey, it would probably be interesting just to go see. I mean, it just, not out of morbid curiosity, we just kind of wanted to just go, like in the same way now we, you know, visit the 9-11 memorial if we're in New York. And uh, it, the building had been leveled, it was all cleared out. Uh, there was just a big chain link fence around, you know, essentially an empty field. But what was so um, just arresting about the whole thing was that just, all over, the, all over the fence were hung um, cards, mementos, flowers, stuffed animals. Um, and, you know, you couldn't help but just have your eyes drawn to some of these, these things that people, people left. And I will never forget, uh, I can remember like it was yesterday, I saw on a card uh, something that just, just I, I didn't know what to do with. Uh, I, I, a woman had written, uh, Mom, it's been almost two years. And every month, every day is harder than the last. <laughs> I just remember thinking, wow, what, that is so heavy, that poor girl, right? But at the same time, I'm also thinking, but shouldn't she be doing okay by now? It has been two years. I mean, I realize it was a bad, bad um, event, a disastrous, horrific event, but in my mind, from the culture, I had gained that like, hey, time, makes you feel better. And there's a stage and you go through these stages, uh, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. I couldn't have enunciated those at that time. But where those came from was uh, from a psychologist, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who um, discerned these stages from observing patients who had been given a terminal illness diagnosis. So that seems to fit a little bit more. Um, but, and certainly we do experience some of these things, but I think out of that, just in our culture of wanting to put conventions on things that are messy like grief, we have imagined that this is how the grief journey is going to look when we're giving somebody else, uh, you know, 
trying to support somebody else. I think we imagine that it looks kind of like that. Uh, just up and to the right all the way, right? And the reality is, for those of us who have been there, it looks a little bit more like that. Um, not always, but most of the time. A lot of setbacks, uh, a lot of forward momentum, but then sometimes just that ambush, that crash. Um, when we were not far out from our miscarriage, we met with a couple who'd also lost multiples, and they shared one of the I think one of the most profound things that, that anybody did in that time, but they said, you know, hey, don't be surprised if in six months it's harder than it is right now. And I remember thinking, how can that be? Really? I think in, I'm thinking in six months we're going to be like, I don't know, ready to go on a cruise or something. Uh, and, and this sweet mom told us we got a call about an adoption opportunity. She said, I was grieving harder at that point than I was right after we'd lost our little girls. That stayed with us. Um, so uh, that's the way it feels actually sometimes uh, most days, wouldn't, uh, wouldn't you agree? Um, but the, the, as, I, as I read through the book of Job, and I'm, I'm doing kind of a deep dive into the book of Job right now with some, some friends, and I see so much of this very same thing. I think Job had to have been a real person <laughs> because his journey is so real. Uh, when you look at where Job was first, uh, you know, early in his grief, uh, he arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, fell on the ground, and worshiped. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gives, the Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Uh, and then not long after that, we see his wife say, hey, Job, this isn't worth it. Curse God and die. And he says, shall we receive good from God and not receive evil? And all this Job did not sin with his lips. And I think it's instructive. I, I, as I look at Job, I see someone who is definitely going through that up and down kind of jagged progression toward healing. As you look further into the, into the book in chapter 16, this is where Job is now. And um, you know, you guys can read as well as I can. Uh, but, you know, he says, like, God, this is what God's doing to me. It's like he is killing me. It's like he's mutilating me. And that's how he's feeling. And it's not the same, you know, he's, th things don't look the same as they did in Job chapter 1 and 2. So um, I would just say, you know, hey, if you, if whether that's you or whether it's somebody that you are ministering to, just be, be careful. We need to all be careful about putting any kind of timeline on this. Uh, uh, and I, I look at this proverb that I, I thought was really instructive when I was dealing with my own grief that says very clearly, you know, joy and, and heartache can exist in the same person at the same time. I think, it's, I think, I think God knows how we grieve and that it's not going to be up and to the right. So um, I'm going to try to give you guys a, a resource for each of these points I'm making. Um, Great book if you're interested in getting it for yourself or somebody else. I've recommended it a million times. This guy is just an amazing author, has an amazing story. Um, essentially, he lost most of his family in a head-on car crash with a drunk driver who actually ended up getting off on a technicality. Uh, and so, uh, really instructive. Nothing, obviously, is going to replace God's Word. I'm not telling you read this in place of God's Word, but this, is a, this would be a good companion for you for somebody else. So, um, let's move on to myth number two, which is time heals all wounds. Has anybody not heard time heals all wounds at some point? Right? I mean, and, and, and the thing is, there is some truth to that. Time plus work will eventually lead to joy, but time healing all wounds. 
I feel like is one of the myths that surrounds the grief journey. Um, you know, it really is. It works great on sitcoms when you know Mrs. Brady has her arm around Marsha and that mean guy. You know, like just honey, just give it some time. It's not you're not going to always feel like this, right? I mean, I don't know if that really happened, but it could have. Um, you know, Scarlett O'Hara, right? Tomorrow. Y'all have seen God with a man, come on. Is another day, right? Uh, you know, she's saying essentially that, that and, and, and really sometimes a good night of sleep is, is important, right? Um, but here's what I have, have observed. And hey, guys, I, am, I do not feel like I am the expert by any stretch. It just happens to be where God has had me for the last 10 or so years. Um, what I have observed, though, is time plus nothing equals survival, Okay time plus Jesus equals joy. Doesn't mean that everything will be great. Someday everything will be, he'll restore everything just the way it was. There, there is a new normal we have to learn to, to get through, but just leaving something alone by itself uh, is never a good idea. Uh, we spend so much time when there's a trauma in our lives, like, you know, seven-year-old fell off the trampoline, broke his collarbone. Well, you don't just go, oh, well, you know, Tomorrow will be a little better, and probably in a few months, you'll, you'll be back to normal, right? What do you do? You go to the ER, right? Anytime we have a, 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 a say, a, if you get a compound fracture, for crying out loud, you go to the ER, and there's going to be a surgical procedure. There's going to be antibiotics. There's going to be x-rays. There's going to be follow-up. There's going to possibly be rehab, right? We, we tend really well to our physical wounds, but something as traumatic and as, as devastating as grief it's a lot of work and it's messy and it's easier just to think, hey, let's just give it time and move on. Let's not dwell on it and it's going to be okay. So um, grief share, this would be uh, resource number two, is something that we offer here at Watermark. It's not a Watermark authored uh, curriculum, but uh, the first thing you're going to hear as you start grief share is, hey, the foundation that is going to be ultimately for your healing and ultimately joy and restoration is a relationship with Christ. So we would say, hey, without Jesus, there will be survival, but true healing, true restoration, true joy, just no no question, right? Um, I did a, a quick search, and already, guys, sorry, that first uh, reference should be Exodus 15, but... Um, God tells us in his word, he calls himself Jehovah Rapha, I am the God who heals. And that to me just indicates right there. And these are just all the references where he says, I have healed, I will heal, I want to heal, I desire to heal, I long to heal. Uh, God wants to be an active participant in our recovery and our restoration and our our rediscovering our joy. but I will say that, that sometimes that, that comes with some, some work, though, inviting him in actively into that process. It's work. I won't deny it. Um, about 30 yards from here, uh, not 30 yards, probably 30 feet, there's a room. It's room 307 uh, on the next floor up. Um, on the assembly room in, uh, on the third floor, just to this way, uh, we held a service for our three little ones uh, before we buried them the next day. And uh, room 307 just became kind of a place where I, I met God. Uh, and I don't say that in a esoteric, mystical way. I mean, I, just daily, I would just go to be with God. And it became my practice in those really hard weeks and months 
uh, after our loss to just go and just be still and listen. And, you know, with Bible, pen, journal, and nothing. Uh, maybe some, some Kleenex if I was, you know, feeling a little bit emotional. But, I mean, there were some days, honestly, guys, I mean, I was just flat down on my face, sobbing my eyes out. Um, but it was, in the same time, a really, it was painful in those moments where we feel like our heart's just being wrenched out of our chests. It was um, a really healing time. Uh, but I remember specifically one day, and this is just kind of an illustration of what I want to, where, where I'm going with this, just this, not just time by itself, but time plus Jesus. I, I remember just saying, God, I, I, I know that you've experienced grief. I know that it had to have broken your heart to, to, to watch Adam and Eve walk out of the garden. Uh, I think about the flood and, you know, having to wipe the slate clean. And, and see all the, these, these, these children that you love die. Um, you know, Israel, you know, your, your, your chosen nation just rebelling and then coming back and spitting in your face and running away and whoring themselves out to other nations, right? Um, and then certainly to see Jesus, your, your only son, die for the sins of mankind. But I just don't see anything in your word about miscarriage. And that's where I am right now. I just need to know. I need to hear from you about this. What? how can you identify with me right now in my, in my pain? And, and you know what the Lord did? And it was, never heard him, never saw him, but it was too instantaneous for it to have just come from me. And he gave me the verse, 2 Peter 3, 9. And I felt like he was saying to me in that moment, I am not slow to fulfill my promise to come back and make all this right. Uh, as some would think slowness is, but I'm patient toward you all of you, mankind, because someday, someday I am going to come back and there, it's going to be too late for some people, but I don't want anyone to perish. And when, when, when someone dies apart from me, when one of my children dies before they have trusted in my provision for their sin through my son on the cross, they're lost to me forever. So I, I get it. I do understand. In that moment, I realized if I just let this alone, if I didn't take any proactive steps toward inviting God into my pain, I'd probably never heal. So it's the, it's the things like that that I'm talking about that like, hey, if you just wait for time to make it all better, they're not going to happen. Um, going, a little, going it alone, you'll survive, but you won't experience, I think, the real joy that God has for us in these, these, these hard times. So what I know is, what I have just observed is... Um, abiding with God, staying connected to his people, staying in his word, asking these hard questions. You will make a long journey. It might be a long journey back to, back to joy. I've seen it happen too often for it to just be a, a, a coincidence. So the resource for this would be uh, consider grief share for you or for a friend who is, is, is dealing, with, dealing with pain and, and knows that they need to make some kind of proactive step toward healing. Um, this one is a little bit tougher to... Um, Enunciate. I have not heard anybody actually come through the doors. And funny enough, we actually have grief share in this room. Uh, and say, my highest aim in life is to be pain-free. But you know that's what they're thinking, right? Because, let's just face it, we don't, have, we don't live in a society that's geared toward dealing with grief and sorrow and loss. Everything about our society is, 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 is geared toward comfort and, 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 and pleasure, let's be honest. Um, so... Uh, when I think about what, John, uh, what Jesus says in John 16, 33, and sorry, some of this all is just kind of showed up in my brain by God's grace this morning, so you don't have slides for all this. Uh, you don't have notes for all this, and I apologize. Uh, but Jesus said in, in John 16, 33, I've said these things that you 
that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. So we've got this on this one side that Jesus is saying, hey, I'm going to see you through. This, is gonna, this, this world is going to hurt you. We've chosen. We've, we're, 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 we're lying in the bed that we've made for ourselves. But over here in Revelation 21.4 says God's going to wipe away every tear from their eyes and, and, and they being the citizens of the new heaven and new earth. So that's us. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying or pain anymore for the former things have passed away. That's Revelation 21.4. So we've got this tension. We're living in this tension of the already but not yet. The We live in a broken world. Someday it's not going to be broken anymore. God's going to fix it, right? Um, so when I, when I hear folks, though, dealing with this tension, these are the questions or some of the things I, I observe is, if the goal is to feel better, why should I allow myself to hurt? You're telling me to come and let grief be what it's going to be, and sometimes that's going to be just letting my, like, the full import and impact of everything that's happened wash over me? And yes, <laughs> that's a yes. Um, you know, if I have a way to mitigate, mitigate the pain, why shouldn't, why shouldn't I, I avail myself of it? Grieving is a waste of time. I don't have time. You're telling me this may take time. I don't have time. I need to get on with my life, right? Um, and here's, here's, here's the answer. Here's what I think we're dealing with is, as I, as I look at Ecclesiastes 3.11, uh, basically it, said, well, it says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from beginning to end. So we don't exactly have an idea of what heaven is going to look like and be like, but our hearts are geared toward it. We're, we're made for heaven. We're made for eternity with God in, a, in completely unbroken fellowship and praise and worship, right? But think about the world around us. Why do we spend so much energy worrying about what we have on, worrying about our physical health, what our bodies look like, how we're perceived, going on beautiful vacations, going to see nature, mountains, rivers, or if, you know, if you're a city person like I am, going to celebrate arts and creativity. Um, why do we spend so much time fixing up our houses so we live in beautiful spaces? Well, let's face it, we all want to be in heaven. That's what that's all about. That's what the secular world is dying for. They want heaven, and we're trying to get it right now. So we're told, we're, 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 we're the product of a culture that tells us that our, our highest goal is to be at peace and for everything to be beautiful around us. And that the reality is, as Jesus told us in 16, John 16, that's just not going to be. So in the meantime, we can indulge, numb, distract, change, or stay busy. We have lots of options. And the struggle is to push back against those options and say, hey, I'm going to be intentional, like we talked about in the last myth, about working through this pain that I've experienced. Um, grief will be dealt with. That's another thing that I've learned. If you manage somehow to limp through this loss that you've experienced, numbing, distracting, whatever, denying, giving it time, because so, time heals all wounds, right? Uh, it will come back. You will, be, you will deal with it. And this is the problem that I see very often, sadly, is people experience a loss that they manage to kind of hobble through. Then a second loss comes along and they realize, you know, I've had people tell me, like, I just lost my, my, my brother, but all I can think about is my mom, who we lost 10 years ago, and I realize I never really dealt with that pain. So grief will be dealt with, uh, make no mistake. Um, counterintuitively, 
the Bible tells us that trials produce joy, and we go like, okay, wait, that makes zero sense, but very little, <laughs> very little in God's economy, I've found, makes sense to my finite brain. A uh, couple of verses here. Not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings. James tells us, count it all joy, my brothers. And you've got the handout, so I'm not going to read the whole verse for time. But um, it is a whole new perspective when we think about, hey, maybe the purpose in all this is not for me to just to have a pain-free, happy life, a comfortable life, a beautiful life even. It could be joy. Um, and so to, um, the best way I know how to put a, a face to this, a, a living, breathing human being, is uh, to bring up a, a lady I think most of us in this room would probably know because she's actually been to our campus about maybe a year, year and a half ago, Johnny Erickson Tata. Anybody read anything by her, been inspired by uh, you know, some of her writings or speakings? Man, she is, she is a gifted, gifted person. So... Um, Anyway, just a story she tells. Um, I've, I've heard her tell it a couple of times. Um, essentially, uh, if you don't know her story, as a 17-year-old, and now she's just about 70, I believe. Um, I think, yeah, I think she, this year she will be 70. Uh, as a 17-year-old, she had a diving accident that left her a quadriplegic. Uh, and she tells this story about being 17, lying on a striker frame and pleading with God pleading with God to heal her. And she'd heard the story of John 5, uh, in John 5 of the Pool of Bethesda, and the, 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 the crippled people that would lie down there and hoping that uh, uh, they could be healed. And she, she said, I could see myself lying by that pool and actually visualize Jesus coming to me and me, him reaching down and healing me. She said she even sometimes would feel spasms and think it was actually happening because she was praying so fervently, God, don't let this be the rest of my life. And they would turn out to just be muscle spasms. So, you know, she's gone on, obviously, to have an incredible uh, ministry. Uh, but she tells this story in, uh, about being in Jerusalem, it, being at the Pool of Bethesda. And she says, you know, nobody's around, and she's just staring at this, at this pool. Um, wow, I think this is going to happen. It didn't even happen to me. Um, staring at this pool, thinking, how long did I, did I dream of actually being here and imagine myself in this place, Right? And as she thinks about this, this is what she, this is what she said, and I, I, I transcribed this, but this is what she said. She said, thank you, Lord Jesus, that a no answer to a request for physical healing has meant not only that I'm depending more on your grace, but it's increasing my compassion for others who are hurt and disabled. It's helped me put complaining behind me. It's stretched my scope. It's pushed me to give thanks in times of sorrow. It's increased my faith. It's strengthened my hope of heaven, and it's made me love you so much more so much more. And so I, I would just challenge you guys and urge you guys to consider that if, you, if you're helping someone, comforting someone, or, or, or if this is even your story, that it feels like the best thing you could do would be to escape this pain, to be not in this pain anymore, to have things back the way they were, whatever. I think God would say, hey, he's got more for us than just that. He's got more than just a happy, pain-free life. He's got a, a purposeful life planned for us. And I realize that's an easy thing for me to say 13 years out from uh, the worst pain I've ever experienced. But looking back, I, I, I can say absolutely, that's God's economy. That's, that's the way he, he rolls. Um, I would just say as a resource, oh, I didn't, I had that up and I skipped it over. Sorry. Uh, 
great book by Johnny Erickson Tata if you're looking for just a, a greater perspective on uh, just purpose and pain. Uh, there, any of these resources, there are plenty of others like that. If you've read some and you go like, hey, I'd, I'd love some more, man, just come see me afterwards. Okay, myth number four. Kids heal fast and are more resilient than adults. Uh, and we have found through just kind of our, our, our time in grief recovery that this is uh, sadly not the case. Grieving kids are, are a very, very underserved demographic um, to the point that, um, you know, I think what we've done is kind of project our, our aversion to pain onto them and just assuming, hey, you know, the best thing we can do is just help them live as normal a life as possible, but not to address this grief that they're experiencing. And I'm going to zoom through the stats because I think I'm already kind of a little behind. Um, but, you know, there's, there's a lot of research that just says, you know, hey, grieving kids need attention. Grieving kids need ministry. You know, the five to seven-year-olds don't have the coping skills. The 12 to 18-year-olds uh, is it made more challenging by the maturation process. In other words, they're just stinking teenagers. So everything's harder when you're a teenager, right? Uh, childhood bereavement is a public health issue that needs to be addressed. Um, disruptive, averse childhood experiences um, go, are commonly reported uh, as uh, grief in a child's life is an adverse common uh, childhood experience. I'm, I'm mangling this. I'm sorry. I could just let you read it by yourselves. Um, and then one in, one in five children will experience the death of someone close to them by the age of 18. I mean, that's, that's pretty significant. They're out there. And the teachers and the counselors we've, counselors we've talked to as we've started this ministry all affirm that, that there are lots of kids dealing with grief over losses of grandparents, parents, siblings, schoolmates. Um, oh, wait, yeah, sorry. So parents who have difficulty. And, and, and man, that, that, last, that last statement, that parents who have difficulty dealing with their own grief uh, gives them, g g produces later you know, in, their, in their kids things like depression, anxiety, problems in school. And here's what we've found is very often we'll have a widow or a widower come and say like, hey, I'm barely able to hold it together. I know my child is hurting. I don't know what to do. Do you have anything for them? And that just over the years kind of weighed on our hearts. And that was the beginning of uh, this ministry here at Watermark called Shift that um, is a great resource if you know somebody uh, who is... Um, you know, has a kiddo or you know a kiddo that's, that's, that's dealing with loss, um, let us know. We'd love to come alongside them. But, uh, you know, we, we have seen with the kids that come through uh, that, 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 are, that are attending shift, things like, um, you know, cuttings, uh, anxiety, depression, uh, truancy, problems in, problems in school, difficulty relating with peers. So um, I, think what we, I think what we think is that a kid who's dealing with grief, it's kind of like that sliver on the pie chart. Um, you know, as they, as they get older proportionally, it'll just be a smaller and smaller piece of their experience. And the reality is, until their grief is dealt with, until they have a chance to deal with their grief, um, it's, like, it's like building a house on a bad foundation, on a broken foundation. Um, you know, what's broken to begin with, the rest of the life ends up, the rest of their lives, they end up just dealing with some issues that could have been resolved while they were kiddos dealing with grief. Um, and just as a quick um, funny note, uh, I was looking for a picture kind of like this, and so I did a search on bad foundation, and that's what came up. So um, did you know that most women are wearing the wrong shade foundation? So anyway, we're learning a lot today. You're welcome. Um, quickly. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Let's skip over that. Yeah, uh, just scriptural basis for uh, kids dealing with grief. Um, you know, I, I 
when I read 2 Corinthians 1 through 3 through 5, what I don't read is, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all mercies, the God of all comfort who comforts us in our afflictions so that we may, able to, we may be able to comfort adults 18 years or older who are in any affliction with the comfort we've received uh, from God. You know, I, I don't see that. I think kids' grief is, is, is valid. Um, and I look at Matthew 19, 14. I mean, I think about if you were a kid growing up in Palestine at that time during Roman occupation, I'm sure life was really, really hard. And Jesus said, hey, man, I, I, I want I want you to keep. I do not want you to keep the little kids away from me, little children. Bring them to me. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, so back to myth number five. Um, if you're grieving, your faith, faith must be weak. You know, I have never found anything in the Bible that says stoicism is a value to be extolled. Uh, faith, yes. Boldness, yes. Confidence, assured, assur- assurance, you know, absolutely. But, um, you know, I, 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 I think really the ability to take our grief before the Lord and our pain before the Lord, I think it's actually a sign of a greater faith than just bucking it up and pretending that everything's okay. And I, I could have fleshed this out more, but I mean, there are plenty of Psalms. Uh, just a few examples. I, I, I saw one estimate that said up to a third of the Psalms may be Psalms of Lament, um, Book of Lamentation, Book of Job. All the people that, that, that grieved in the Bible, that's, that's, that's some, not all. Um, and then I look at, uh, I, I saw this, uh, caught this verse just actually a few days ago, and I, I'd never really noticed what it says about the men who buried Stephen. So Stephen, uh, the, the uh, follower of Jesus who was stoned by Saul and, and his thugs, um, great persecution against the church. They were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles, devout men, buried Stephen and made much lamentation over him, great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering the house, entering house after house, he dragged off the men and women and committed them to prison. So even per, the threat of persecution didn't stop these men from grieving over their friend, and they were devout men. So um, I think, as I, as, I, as I think about what it means to just really um, let God into our pain and not try to act like everything's going to be okay or that we're in control uh, as, a, as a sign somehow that we have a deep faith. Um, like I said, there were, there were some days where I couldn't hold it together anymore and I would just find a private place and what that looked like was, you know, a lot of tears, a lot of snot, right? And very often, obviously, you know, grief takes the form of, uh, it, it, it can be a very emotional experience, it, that, and that in itself can be painful to just let go. But here's what I think happens when we do that. When I say, Father, I'm, I'm, I'm giving this to you, and whatever it feels like, if it's just heartbreaking, heartrending in this moment, I'm just going to let it be what it's going to be. And I think it's in those moments you know, you often hear, you know, tears are healing, tears are, you know, um, God's windshield wiper fluid. I mean, you know, silly things like that. But I do think there is something really exceptional that happens when we get into that place because I think it's in those moments when we just absolutely, I think about Psalm 62, 8, trust in him at all times, O people, pour out your hearts before him. God is a refuge for us. And I think it's in those moments where we say, hey, God, I'm, I'm taking my hands off the wheel. This is yours. He can actually come in. His Holy Spirit can come in and actually start to heal those really, really broken, broken places in our heart. So um, great book if you're interested in uh, any 
just, just delving into this further called um, Hearing Jesus Speak Into Your Sorrow by Nancy Guthrie. Um, sweet lady, great author, lost uh, two infants uh, shortly after birth because of a genetic disorder. Um, can't recommend that enough. Um, okay, last one. I'm going to try to get through this in case anybody has any questions. Um, I'll try to answer those. Um, suicide is the unforgivable sin. Has anybody heard, heard that? Yeah. Yeah. And um, hey, this is not my chance to rag on other denominations, but I, I, I do believe in, in certainly, you know, uh, it's, 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 it's something that's been around for a while. And I think it probably originates in the Catholic, tra- Catholic tradition of if you die with unconfessed sin, and certainly suicide is a sin because it's murder of ourselves, uh, you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. So, um, there, there, in, in Europe in the Middle Ages, it was horrible. You couldn't, you couldn't bury a, a, a loved one who'd committed suicide on church ground. Um, sometimes they would drag the bodies through, through the streets. I mean, it's, it's got a horrible tradition. And what's, what's ironic is the people who, are, who have lost a loved one to suicide need a ton of compassion because very often there's already, even still today, a lot of shame that goes with um, uh, uh, being the, the loved one of someone who's taken their own life, uh, which is, is really sad. Um, so f- survivors of suicide need our compassion, but and, and the stats are crazy. I mean, second leading cause of death for our young people, y'all, 14 to 34. Uh, that, or, sorry, 10 to 34. Uh, that, that, is, that is heartbreaking. So we, we, we have to talk about this. Um, I'm going to go ahead and just give you uh, one resource, which is there's a great real truth real quick on what really is the unpardonable sin, uh, unforgivable sin that Todd did um, way better than I could, uh, realtruthsrealquick.com. But um, one, of the, one of the sweetest and kind of saddest at the same time, uh, most telling things that I can remember from uh, the last several years. Uh, every, every year or so, we try to honor our grief recovery leaders who've been with us, been serving for a while. And so I always go back to their, um, Carla, watch out. Um, I always go back to uh, <laughs> our uh, past participants and ask for uh, just some feedback on, uh, you know, hey, could you tell us something that, that you appreciated about this group leader? And one couple wrote in, I'll never forget it, they said, we are so grateful for Aaron Duncan because people had told us that our son, even though he had trusted Christ for his salvation, that because he had taken his own life, he wasn't in heaven. And thank God for Aaron Duncan because he showed us in the Bible where that's not true. And what we know, guys, and this is where uh, I want to end, if someone has trusted Christ for their salvation and made a sincere profession of faith that, that, that they are a sinner in need of grace, uh, Okay, yes. Would suicide be considered a, a mistake, a sin? Yes. But we also know that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, um, Romans 8.1 tells us. So I just, our arts team put together these really cool graphics, and I was looking for a way to use them, so I'm just going to throw them up there. But this is what we would say to anyone who is in doubt about their loved one's salvation, thinking that, yeah, I, don't, I really don't know where they are. They, I, I think they were a Christian, or they said they were a Christian. They, they made a profession of faith, a sincere profession of faith, and here's what I would say. The gospel tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. This is called the Romans Road. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Um, 
God shows his love for us, and that while we're still sinners, Romans 5, 8 says, Jesus died for us. And this is what I would, I would, I would encourage them with. Did Jesus know that your loved one is going to take his own life before he allowed himself to be nailed to that cross? Yes, absolutely. So did he die for that person, that loved one anyway? Yes. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Romans 10, 9 through 10. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God. That loved one is at peace with God if they sincerely trusted him for, th- for their salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's no condemnation, therefore, like I just said, for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if that is news to any of you, praise God. We'd love to talk to you more about that. Uh, if that is a comfort to someone who has lost a loved one to suicide, praise God. Um, was it okay for that, that loved one to end their life? According to God's word, no. Did they fulfill all of God's promises for their life? Very possibly not. Is the young man or young woman who made a prof- genuine profession of faith that is Lord Jesus safe in the arms of his Savior. Everything I know about Jesus tells me yes. Um, I can't come to any other conclusion. Great resource for um, anyone walking through suicide or who knows somebody who's walking through suicide. Uh, This gentleman lost his dad. Actually, his dad was elderly when he took his own life. Uh, He had, um, I think, a terminal diagnosis. And it's a great book, uh, uh, grounded in scripture, solid resource. Um, And then last thing, and this is not on your slides, Here's my contact info. If I can help in any way, I mean, you need resources, uh, want to talk more, uh, anything like that, man, just please, please feel free to get in touch. I'd be happy to, to help in any way I can. And now uh, we have about 10 minutes till we'll um, head out to the next breakout. Uh, anybody got any, got any questions? Um, would love to, um, if anything I said was unclear, needs clarification. If you want to argue with me, you know, okay. Uh, we can we can we can do that, <laughs> but uh, anybody. I do a lot of work with like teenagers and high schoolers, and one thing that I've noticed is that like these kids will they're basically feeling a lot of very adult things, like they're going through a lot of grief, and it's very um, stuff that I would be going through. But uh, I've come into situations where these kids they have parents who either don't like they're maybe they're not believers or they don't want to help them or they um, there's a lot of stigma around counseling so they don't want to put them in counseling so like do you have any recommendations or like how do we approach those situations where these kids like they need help but we're kind of bound by what their parents are doing for them yeah yeah um can I ask, are you like a school counselor or a teacher? Or? Um, no, it's a ministry. So okay. A okay. Awesome. Yeah. You know, I, I, I think, I, I think I might, um, you know, one good move might be, well, obviously prayer first, uh, you know, um, uh, talk to the, maybe see their school counselor and just say, Hey, here's something I've, I've, I've observed. You know, I think school counselors welcome that kind of information. Every time I've had a conversation with, uh, you know, the counselor at our kid's school, it's usually thank you for letting me know when I suspect like, Hey, I just got a funny feeling, had a strange interaction with a kiddo, one, is, one of my kid's friends. Um, so that, that would be a great place to start because they've all, you know, you probably don't know the, the, the parents at all, but the counselor might already have a relationship with them and, you know, feel free to give them, you know, something on shift and just say like, hey, I think, I think the benefit for kids, the biggest benefit for kids is realizing that they're not alone because 
you know, let's face it, you know, when kids are in school, they just want to be, they don't want to stand out. They don't want to be different. I don't want to be known as, you know, the kid who was, you know, who, who, who lost his dad. I just want to blend in. And when they come to shift, they realize, oh man, I'm not all by myself and it's totally okay to embrace, you know, what's, what's happened. I don't know if that's helpful. Um, counselors are great. Yeah. Hi, we have a very dear friend who lost her husband about nine months ago, and um, Grief Share wasn't happening at Watermark mm. at that time, so she did do it through a different church over in Grapevine. But um, kind of hanging through this with her mm-hmm. over the last nine months, and I believe everything you're saying about you know now is harder than then, mm-hmm. and there are good days and bad days. But um, she's kind of finished Grief Share, and I don't know enough about the program to know right. is there is there anything beyond grief share because I don't even know if it's appropriate to hey go do it again mm-hmm. or you know like I I don't need to have the right thing to say necessarily but I'm just not sure I understand the process of the program because it seems like it's short yeah you're you're her resource the Bible is her resource and there are um, programs constantly like re, um, Regeneration would be a good one for her. Um, just processing any residual anger or um, fear that may be living in there. Um, I've gone through grief share so many times. I've experienced more losses since then and now going back through for those new losses. Um, grief shares here at this church is twice a year. And um, also the grief share website has daily devotionals that are really good too. If she responds well to email devotionals, um, they'll send an email devotional each day. That's really good. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks Lauren. Appreciate it. Okay. And, and, and I, I just would add to that too. I mean, I think soon after uh, a loss, I mean, you're, you're in a little bit of a fog. I, I think, um, What's significant maybe about that six month, and you can't, you know, set your watch by it or anything like that, but um, it, it does seem like for that first few, um, those first few weeks and months, God just in his grace gives us, uh, because we're in shock, I think he just surrounds us with maybe kind of a sense of just a little bit of a fog uh, and just gently lifts that fog as we can handle it more. And it seems like sometime around six months, that's when the full realization of what's happened, what we've lost, starts to kind of dawn on us. I don't know that that's biblical. It's just what I've observed and what I, I have a hunch that God in his grace allows that. So in, in that sense, I would say, uh, you know, she might be in a better position to get even more out of it, uh, going through it again. I mean, anytime we study, you know, God's word, certainly, and not that grief shares God's word. I want to be careful about uh, putting it on that level, but, you know, you can read, I'm reading the book of Job now for, I don't know, maybe the fourth time, still just going, wow, I never saw that before. So, it might be helpful to take that tack too and just say, hey, you, 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 there's a good chance that you just weren't able to receive everything that, that was there that first time around, and why not? Try it again. I don't know. Just a thought. Maybe else. Okay, we got two here. I'm going to run this back to you if you don't mind. Sure. Um, if I was going to invite someone to shift um, a, ch- a child, what would they expect? What's the format? What happens? That's a good question. Um, any shift leaders in here? I don't think so. Uh, so yeah, um, it's 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 kind of cool. The first thing is uh, the family, uh, the caregiver. Sometimes it's grandparents. Sometimes it's foster parents. Sometimes it's you know a, a single parent. Uh, they have a family dinner. 
So it's just kind of a nice transition from crazy work day, you know, especially for the single parents not to have to think about, okay, how are we going to get fed and get to Watermark on time? Um, so that's from 5.30 to about 6.30. Uh, 6.30, then, it's, it's, it's really different every time. That's a big reason why when folks would say, hey, could I bring my kid to Grief Share? You know, you just go, golly, I mean, how much is a kid going to get out of, you know, 30 minutes video, a 15-minute testimony, and then sitting in a breakout room with a bunch of adults for an hour? Are you kidding me? There's no way, right? So, um, so it's, it's, a, it's a very varied format. You know, sometimes there's their activities, crafts. We call them projects for the senior boys because, you know, they're too cool for crafts. Um, and uh, some discussion time. Uh, they have a workbook that they leave because, you know, all the... All the input they got was, you don't want to make it look like homework or they won't do it. So, uh, so I don't know if that helps, but yeah, every, every week is, is slightly different. And then they give uh, discussion questions, you know, just kind of stuff for the, the, the caregiver, parent, whoever, to kind of discuss, you know, reinforce throughout the week. That's the high level. My wife could talk to you for <laughs> three days about it. There's one over here, yeah. Yes, um, shift and grief share, are there... Are there other people there that are experiencing grief in other ways than just death? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, we have had that discussion uh, a couple of times when folk, someone has said, you know, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm here because I'm dealing with, um, you know, the loss of a significant relationship, a pet, uh, a job, financial security. You know, I mean, really, John 1010, you know, says that, you know, the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy, but... I've come to give you life and give you a life abundantly. And life is, life is full of a lot of losses. Uh, you know, there's, there's more, uh, you know, there's, there are losses of, 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 of innocence, loss of relational trust, loss of uh, uh, self-respect. You know, we can go on and on and on and on. Um, we usually, though, for those types of losses, refer folks to, say, maybe regeneration, divorce care, if that makes sense. Um, grief, share, and shift are really specific about losing a loved one because they've died. 